You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. Here's your host, Dr. Stephen Edelman, founder and director of Taking Control of Your Diabetes, clinical professor of medicine, Division of Endocrinology and Metabolism, University of California, San Diego, and San Diego Veterans Administration Healthcare System. Insulin pumps are getting smaller, more convenient, and easier to use. Will insulin pump use become the preferred therapy for patients with diabetes? Joining us to discuss emerging insulin pump technology is endocrinologist in San Francisco, California, Dr. Nancy Bohannon. Dr. Bohannon, welcome to ReachMD. Thanks for inviting me, Steve. I'm really looking forward to this. Well, I know we have one of the nation's top experts in this area. Why recommend an insulin pump? Well, for type 1 diabetics, uh, they usually think that it's more convenient than taking uh, injections as far as allowing spontaneity. Um, The insulin injections, as you know, are not that big a deal, the injections themselves, but sometimes it's hard to plan exactly what you're going to eat or when you're going to exercise or if you have the opportunity uh, to go out and do something for which you had not planned ahead regarding your doses. And so if you can change your basal rate temporarily while you do a pickup game of basketball um, or change your basal rate perhaps because of the time of the month for women with their menstrual cycles, um, this is a lot easier than having to uh, try and guess and take extra boluses and eat extra food. Well, before we get into type 2s, let's let's expand a little bit on some of the physiologic advantages. Well, of course, with the, the modern pumps, there are so many advantages going from the delivery of the bolus, which no longer has to really be a bolus, all of the insulin at one time. You can have a dual-wave bolus or a square-wave bolus. You can give part of the insulin up front if you need a correction bolus just before a meal. You can give the correction bolus up front and then uh, spread the mealtime bolus over a period of time. Uh, especially if you're going to have a high-fat meal or you're going to be dining over, you know, an hour and a half or two hours. You may not want that big bolus up front. You can spread it out so part of the insulin is given over a longer period of time. Also, if you're using semlin, of course, you're going to want to have a more flat, square-wave bolus uh, to last perhaps uh, over a couple of hours because of the slowed absorption of the food when semlin's on board. That's right. Now, um, you know, insulin pumps have been traditionally for people with type 1 diabetes. I know that uh, they're becoming more and more popular and greater use in type 2 diabetes. Where do you stand on that? I think uh, most of our type 2s who are on um, multiple daily injections would also benefit uh, by the use of a pump. Unfortunately, a lot of our insurers will not pay for the pump and uh, the supplies, which are, as you know, uh, a bit of a financial burden if you don't have coverage. However, in the near future, uh, uh, there will be pumps, mechanical pumps available, which could be used by type 1s or type 2s, but I really see the larger part of the market being in type 2s, uh, which can deliver either basal, um, insulin plus bolus insulin on a mechanical basis. So they won't have all the fancy electronics, they won't have the wizards, but on the other hand, they're going to be much, much 
cheaper, and they will be able to deliver a continuous basal rate uh, and then a uh, bolus rate that, or a bolus that is variable, and the person would deliver the bolus by pushing buttons. And it could be in, depending on the pump, half unit uh, increments, one unit increments, two unit increments, five unit increments, again, depending upon how insulin resistant they are, how much insulin they need. So this will be very nice. And these pumps will be disposable patch pumps that just stick on the body with adhesive, uh, have a little cannula um, that uh, either a cannula or a needle, depending again upon the pump, that goes subcutaneously and uh, will deliver either basal and bolus or just bolus alone. And there are other devices that may actually deliver just basal alone for people who are perhaps only needing Lantus or Levimer. Uh, and these would be replaced, just thrown away, disposable pumps, uh, replaced every 24 to 72 hours, again, depending upon which pump they're using. So rather than being injected at least four times a day for their boluses and their basal insulin, they would only put this on every day or every three days. And it's not that the injection is such a big deal. It's just one more hassle factor. So if all they have to do is push a button through their clothing to deliver the insulin, um, the bolus insulin, that would be very easy. Now, of course, as I said, these are not going to have all the wizards and dual-wave boluses and square-wave boluses and things. They're just going to be an insulin delivery device. Nancy, that's, that's interesting because we, we don't really know exactly uh, what we need from a pump specifically for type 2s, but I think you've touched on a couple of them, that we may not need all the fancy bells and whistles, that these folks need either a basal or a bolus with each meal, uh, and, and may, they may be used with or without oral agents. Well, let's expand on that a little bit. Do you, what do you think about uh, physician acceptance of this really kind of a new area of delivering insulin, and, and what about patients? What do you predict? Well, I, I have used uh, these pumps with patients um, because I've been involved with the, the development with several different companies, but the patient acceptance has been very, very good. Um, and actually, I think um, it can lead to improved control in that I found uh, some of the patients I chose specifically and offered these pumps to were ones whose control was not as good as it should be and not for any bizarre reason. And lo and behold, when we put them on the patch pump, uh, and it was just a matter of pushing a button through their clothing to deliver their boluses, their blood sugars improved. And it turned out when you start really asking them that, sure, they were taking their breakfast, lunch, and dinner boluses with their pens, but when they'd have a little something extra, half a donut or, or an apple or something that really should have had a one or two unit bolus to cover the snack, they weren't covering their snack. And when it's easy to just push a button through your clothing rather than pulling out a pen, uh, they were getting all of the boluses that they needed. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Stephen Edelman. I'm speaking with Dr. Nancy Bohannon. We are discussing new insulin pump technology. Let's talk about the insulin on board 
uh, feature first, uh, because I think that's kind of an interesting uh, way to prevent hypoglycemia. The wizards are wonderful, and we call what I'm calling the wizard is the, the ability to set these electronic uh, algorithms so that uh, the bolus on board, which, of which we just spoke, is uh, determining how long their insulin lasts. And, of course, it's all rapid-acting insulin that are being uh, put into the pump. So rapid-acting insulin uh, usually lasts maybe somewhere between three and six hours. Now, it's peak, and that depends also on the kind of insulin you're using in it. The peak action might be at one hour, at 90 minutes, um, perhaps even at two hours. But it continues to have some blood sugar-lowering effect for several hours thereafter. And one of the problems in the past is if someone checks their blood sugar two hours after they eat and finds that it is still high, they might re-bolus, give another shot of insulin to try and bring it down, but not recognize that the insulin they gave two hours earlier with the meal still has another hour or two hours or even three hours of action in it, and then they get into what we call insulin stacking. And the new insulin on top of the tail end of the old insulin causes hypoglycemia. With the bolus on board feature, depending upon how it is set, the actual electronics will remember how much insulin action is still left. I think avoiding hypoglycemia is going to be one of the more important things as we push our patients to get better control. Tell us just real briefly about these cool uh, uh, interactions between a glucose meter and that can communicate with a pump. Oh, yes. That's, that's really the way we're going now is to have a continuous glucose monitor uh, that will interact with the pump. Right at the very current minute, there's only one pump that uh, does read the continuous monitor right on the pump, but there are two more that are expected where the meter, uh, excuse me, the continuous glucose monitor will interact with the pump so that the pump will know, uh, record what the blood, uh, what the continuous monitor says and will then, when prompted, suggest an amount of insulin. These are not closed-loop systems. But there is, a, there is a system in the United Kingdom, in England, uh, made by Minimed that actually the pump will turn off if the continuous monitor registers a low alarm and the person does not interact with the pump for 10 minutes, uh, if nothing is done, the pump is sort of trained to assume the patient is unconscious and it will suspend insulin delivery. It'll stop insulin delivery until a person interacts with the pump. You're right. It's the first step in closing the loop. And we've spoken about CGM on previous shows that uh, eventually you know, folks won't have to think as much about their diabetes throughout the day, and their diabetes control will get better at the same time. Well, we haven't had time to talk about some of the other 
issues, but I want to mention them to stimulate our listeners, is that, you know, newer pumps, we're talking about infusing drugs like Simlin, uh, pumps that are surgically implanted under the skin, dual-chambered pumps. You can pump in two substances, maybe glucagon, maybe Simlin, but we'll have to save that for another show, Nancy. Steve, can we mention also that there are patches that are not pumps that are being developed where it is just a patch that sticks on the skin and delivers insulin through the skin. Uh, especially for a basal insulin, that would be very interesting and not requiring a cannula. Yeah, that's interesting. And that's, it's basically all about making it simple for our patients. Uh, and when it, uh, when it gets simple and easy to apply, then control is going to get better. I'd like to thank our guest, endocrinologist in San Francisco, California, Dr. Nancy Bohannon. Dr. Bohannon, thank you so much for spending time with us on Diabetes Discourse. Glad to do it. Thanks, Steve. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP-1, visit novomedlink.com forward slash DIA. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, visit us at reachmd.com. What are you reading? I'm reading about something called GLP-1. Is it a robot? No. (laughs) GLP-1 is a natural hormone that helps regulate glucose metabolism. Its multiple actions are critical to glucose control. Huh? Uh, Okay. Well, GLP-1 works in a glucose-dependent manner. It stimulates the beta cells in your pancreas to secrete insulin and inhibit the liver from releasing excessive glucose by reducing glucagon secretion from alpha cells. It also helps regulate food ingestion by slowing gastric emptying in your stomach here (laughs) and making you feel full. Like at Thanksgiving? Yes. Um, I don't get it. Is it important? Well, GLP-1 is important because it impacts the multiple systems affected by diabetes. It also plays a significant role in protecting beta cells, a key to slowing diabetes progression. Unfortunately, many people with type 2 diabetes have impaired GLP-1 secretion and impaired beta cell response to GLP-1. Like Grandpa? Yes. And like many of my type 2 diabetes patients. That's why I want to make sure I'm looking at the whole picture in diabetes. Sustained control of A1C is important, but we can't stop there. It's important to look at weight, cardiovascular risk, and beta cell dysfunction. Impaired GLP-1 physiology is also a part of the problem, and the multiple actions of GLP-1 throughout the body are critical. So, the GLP-1 robot will help you see the whole picture. (laughs) Yes, I guess, in a way, it will. Novo Nordisk is a world leader in diabetes care and is dedicated to ongoing research. To learn more about GLP-1 and the role it plays in diabetes, please visit novomedlink.com slash DIA.